This is the Good Judge Men Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another session of the Good Judgment Podcast. I am Wade Paget, And I'm Tane Kell, and together we will be your hosts. The Good Judgment Podcast is designed for judges, lawyers, and others who are interested in judges and the law and procedure that occurs in a courtroom. Now, our focus is on Georgia law and Georgia judges. We normally address issues dealing with substantive law and procedure, but occasionally we have some other topics that we think might be of interest for judges to consider. For those who have been listening to our podcast, we want to thank you and hope that you'll tell somebody else. And don't forget, folks, if you want to contact us, you can send us an email to goodjudgepod at gmail.com, or you can follow us on the web at goodjudgepod.com. This is your favorite producer slash editor, Stephen, again. Welcome back to part two of our interview with Judge Lamar Sizemore. We're going to pick back up where we left off, so be sure to check out part one if you haven't already. So, Judge, so I don't, I don't want to try to act like you are uh, coming down from the mount with the tablets or anything here, <laughs> but, <laughs> but when you look back in your judicial career, the judicial part of your career, is there anything that you say now, man, I really wish I had known this yeah. the day I started. It would have made so much of my life simpler or more direct. Absolutely. Um, the, the thing that troubled me the most and, and almost led me to be panicked early on was the fact that I might make a mistake. I mean, through inadvertence, um, ignorance, um, you know, maybe bad judgment, I, I decided something that was wrong. Uh, I decided it the wrong way. And I went to our chief judge and my longtime friend since law school and neighbor, Tommy Day Wilcox, who, who y'all surely mm-hmm. know. Absolutely. And um, Judge Wilcox said, don't worry, Lamar. You can't make an error that can't be corrected by one more signature. And I thought, ah, yeah, okay. <laughs> That's right. We can go back and correct these things, can't we? So, I mean, that put my mind at ease. I mean, it's not like you – um, get to follow around a mentor for a while before you start doing this. I mean, you go in the day after you get sworn in, and you're expected to jump in there, take on a hearing. And, and I'll never forget my first day on the bench. I sat down, and I kicked my feet out in front of me, and I looked under there, and there were all these law books stacked up under the bench. And I called the bailiff over. And I said, Hook, what is all of this stuff under, whose library is this? He said, oh, that's to stop the bullets. I said, stop the bullets? I mean, the governor never said anything about bullets. <laughs> what is this about? <laughs> but, but that was the, the sort of modicum of security. That we had the nice nice, nice makeshift. <laughs> and people say the law won't protect you. That's right. <laughs> Oh my God, that was oh! If we have if we have sound effects, hopefully they'll employ them right then. <laughs> Judge, you know, there's been and people have called it all kind of things, but there's been a good bit of conversation recently about what some people call decision fatigue. Some people have even called it some version of post traumatic stress from having to make so many yeah. so many decisions. And you know, every that better than anybody, every day the judge has to make multiple decisions, whether it be. What time is this? Where do you want to go there? What we're we going to do next month? When do you want to go on vacation? How do you, and then you have to decide all the cases. That's right. Yeah. So 
did you ever have that where you had decision fatigue where you don't even want to decide what's for dinner? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I can remember coming home and being asked, what do you want for dinner? And I just said, food. I don't care <laughs> what it is. I mean, don't make me ask uh, answer a, a question. Uh, I've, I've decided all I want to decide today. Um, How did you deal yeah, with that? Well, you know, you. what I would do, and again, it's individual, but I'd go for a walk or – uh, I'd, I'd engage in a hobby. Uh, I'd do something unrelated. I remember Hardy Gregory, uh, Justice Gregory, mm-hmm. uh, who was a Superior Court judge like, like we have been, uh, did a speech, uh, gave a speech to the DeKalb County Bar that I saw written up in the Daily Report this years ago, but it stuck with me. Uh, the title of his presentation was, There is More to Life Than the Law. And um, and that's true. I mean, we, we get so wrapped up in what we're doing, but, you know, you got families, um, you have obligations to other charitable institutions. I mean, get out and do something, uh, um, you know, other than the law. Go fishing. I mean, I, I enjoy going to the North Georgia mountains, trout fishing. Um, good way to recharge your batteries. But... Um, yeah, I mean, you get to the point where you just do not want to make another decision. Don't trouble me with, with that. Uh, you got to be careful because in, in your house, if, if you trivialize the questions you're being asked, <laughs> yeah. well, yes, sir. It, it, yeah, that can be a rebound effect. Yeah, if yes. you have a spouse, you better make sure that That's they sort right. of understand hey, going into this, yeah. you might have to take on a bigger role on what might seem like mundane things. Give me my 30 minutes to just sit in this chair, whatever your deal is, to go walk, go fish, whatever. Two other things I'd say that quickly. One is go out to dinner with friends, socialize. Don't isolate yourself. Um, I made it a point every week to call, you know, one couple or another couple or two or three couples, and we'd all go to dinner together. You need that interaction with people on a social level. I know you've got another point, but i got a quick question, and, and, and I want to put this out there with you too. Would you go to dinner or lunch with lawyers? Oh, yeah, sure. I'd, Do you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We have people who absolutely will not. Look, I, now, I your whole career you've been a lawyer. Right, yeah. This is your this is your group, and I didn't stop being a lawyer just because I became a no, judge. You're either. a lawyer with another job, right? It be, goes along with what you were talking yeah. about earlier, which is don't forget you were a lawyer uh, before you became a judge, and I don't want the lawyers to think that I have forgotten that and want, right. don't want to be part of that. Now no. you you said you had a second point. You talked about going I, to dinner with I some do. folks. The other is uh, to find a a place, uh, sort of a sanctuary where you can go and uh, and recharge your batteries. I mean, it can be a trout stream. It can be, a, in my case, it's a cabin up near Hiawassee uh, where I can get geographically away from the courthouse and the work that I was doing. And I could literally feel my blood pressure come down as I topped Unicorn Gap and, and came <laughs> down the other side. It just, you know, everything was, I was chilling. And, uh, and able to relax for a few days and go back and jump back in it again. Well, you know, we've talked about this a little bit about how the law has changed. If you had the magic wand and you could change something about how we do business, and I mean the global we, not just Spear Court, mm-hmm. would you change? Is there something that immediately you think needs to be looked at or changed? 
The thing that has always troubled me the most about being in that position uh, is, is the way you are elected and retained as a judge. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's the it, craziest thing, isn't it? Well, it is. It, it forces <laughs> you to have a campaign if it's contested or, or to. I know people who raise money just to pay the qualifying fee and to go and have to ask people to contribute to you. And you're creating a constituency if it's a contested election where you've got people in the community giving money and you know i mean they're not expecting you to do something unprofessional but they expect you know to be recognized if they end up in court i mean it's just a bad situation i always thought number one it ought to be a six-year term and not a four-year term and that there ought to be retention elections as opposed to political Elections. That's the Missouri rule, I think, right. years back. Right, it was, yeah. And, uh, I mean, that, I think, needs to be changed. And even if the people who give you money expect absolutely nothing for it, and that's what you hope is the case, yeah, yeah. the guy on the other side who's what? in a case and you rule for the for the lawyer who gave your campaign $500 is always going to believe that the reason that you ruled that way is because that other person gave you $500. And I, I'm with you, Judge. I'm, I've always been uncomfortable with that aspect of what we do. Right. Well, I agree with you. Talking about how the actual practice of law has changed over the years, anything that you think that you really miss, and then conversely, anything you really think we do better now? Uh, the thing I miss, and I see it um, in the courtroom and around the courthouse in hearings and conferences, is that lawyers don't talk to each other personally like they used to. I mean, many times they'll come to the courthouse for a hearing uh, and, and have never communicated with each other about the issues to see if there's anything we can do to short-circuit this, to accommodate one another uh, you know, if, if I filed a lawsuit um, and, and I knew State Farm was the insurer, I'd pick up the phone and call Covage Snow and say, Covage, got something coming to you. I'll send you a copy just so you'd be alerted to it. And, uh, and that would start the dialogue about the case, and it would continue on to the time we got to the courthouse, if that's where we ended up. But I just am dumbfounded. Uh, that was one of the things that shocked me when I got to the courthouse. The lawyers do not talk to each other, by and large, un until they're at the courthouse. One of the things that we've talked about is it seems like the only rule any of the law students remember from their ethics class is the duty of zealous, zealous advocacy. Yeah. They, yeah. They, they, they miss all those other ones. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I had, a, right. I had a rule when I was uh, practicing law that as soon as I got a case, I was frequently on the defense side, so I'd get it right as, you know, once it was filed and my client got served, that, that usually that day I would call the lawyer on the other side and just start a dialogue. And a lot of times they'd be really taken aback, like, what's he up to here? Yeah. But, you know, I would just say, look, I'm just calling. I don't even know anything about the case yet. I haven't met with my client yet, but I just want to introduce myself because we're going to be working with each other for a while. And I, I'm with you. I, I miss that. I, you know, I miss seeing lawyers practice that way. So what about it? Is there anything better? Can you say there's yeah, anything the technology, better? technology, which, you know, I'm, again, I'm a dinosaur. I don't know how to e-file even. I mean, it, just, it came along while I was on the bench and, and now mediating full time. So I haven't really had to deal with it myself. So, 
it's still uh, sort of a mystery to me. But but I think it's a wonderful uh, uh, improvement uh, in in um, in the practice of law, and I think the technology that has come along to facilitate practicing law is uh, is a real help and courtroom stuff too. Technology uh, being but, able to present the evidence, you mean like this mm-hmm. the way you can present it to the yeah. jury. That's right. You did a lot of car wreck work when you were in practice? I did a lot of that. It's railroad and trucking and products liability, things like that. Primarily plaintiff side, though? Yeah, plaintiff okay. side. Plaintiff side. Did you, talking about domestic relations, Yeah. And, and everybody sort of, everybody who's a Superior Court judge that I know has this reaction, and I can almost not describe it <laughs> on my podcast, but there's sort of a resignation, sort of a grim, flat lip, sort of, Hmm. Domestic yeah. relations. It's not because we don't think it's important. That's no. not the issue. Matter of fact, we realize it's probably the one of the most impactful things we can do. But did you have tips and tricks that you might have uh, implemented to how to manage some of that? I did. And, and let me say first, I have tremendous respect for domestic relations lawyers. Um, I, you know, when, uh, after a just two or three months of having hearings in uh, Crawford County, uh, contempt hearings in domestic relations cases. I've had a bar meeting that I went to, and they um, introduced me, and I stood up and said, look, I just come from a, uh, a morning of uh, hearings, contempt hearings in domestic relations cases, and I just want to say to you people who practice in that area I have great admiration for you. I wouldn't have the patience to do what you do. I wouldn't have the the, the wisdom to uh, lead your clients uh, to the resolutions that you do. And I, you know, I, I admire you and appreciate you. And uh, and I still feel that way. And I did have. I came up with a couple of rules. One actually came to me from Judge um, Mullins Wisnett in Columbus. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know whether you remember Judge Wisnett, but again, yeah, a contemporary sure of my dad's. Um, he said, uh, right after I was appointed, he said, Lamar, listen, in these contested uh, domestic relations cases, do not rule from the bench. Um, tell them you're going to take it under advisement. I mean, it's serious business among the most important stuff you have to deal with. It involves children. It involves property uh, that's emotional. Uh, and, and you want them to understand that you're going to give it due consideration. You want to do some research. You want to read over your notes. You want to look at these documents that have been presented and, and give them a reasoned opinion. And, and you're going to prepare a written opinion and send it to the lawyers. Because it is such a volatile uh, atmosphere, I mean, emotions are high. If you rule from the bench, somebody's going to lose and be mad. And, you know, in that sort of setting, uh, you may have a a scene that you would rather have not dealt with, and they would too. So I think it's better, and I I follow Judge Wisnett's suggestion about that. Um, The other thing is... um, I would never have a contested domestic hearing of any kind without a uniform in the courtroom. By that, I mean a deputy. There's something intimidating about that uniform, and if I could get two deputies, that's what I would do uh, in criminal matters and in domestic matters, just because of the intimidating effect it has. I, I have this 
had this two-deputy rule because in Fort Valley one day, I sentenced somebody to the penitentiary, bad record, and this was like his fourth burglary. I sentenced him for 10 years. And um, he asked me if he could have a week to get ready, get his affairs in order. And I said, well, you know, I'm not real comfortable with that. I understand why, but you knew this was coming, and so I'm going to let him take you on back. Well, he turned around and hit this 6'6", 240-pound deputy who was not expecting this with the flat part of his hand, palms, slapped him in the chest and knocked him flat on his back in the courtroom. And the clerk jumped up and ran out the door. And and fortunately, I thought he was just fleeing for his own protection, but he was going to get another deputy. And uh, the deputy came in and the man's wife came running down the aisle and talked with him and calmed him down, and they were able to take him back. But two deputies would have been better than yeah, one. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so that was, that's where that uh, two-deputy rule came from. I actually had a defendant escape from the courtroom one time, Judge, oh, no. and uh, get chased about a mile down the road, and uh, they eventually found him hiding in a dumpster at a construction <laughs> site about a mile away from the courthouse. Yeah. It was pretty exciting. Boy. Yep. Well, you were about to put him in a place similar to a dumpster, I expect. (laughs) (laughs) About the same dimensions, at least. That's what I meant. (laughs) Well, Judge Sizemore, um, is there anything that you could tell us that, from your unique perspective as a lawyer and a judge, and then back to a lawyer and a mediator, anything uh, that you have thoughts in general that we could improve on as judges, or anything else that you'd like to add to what we've talked about already? First, I would want to say that you have the hardest job in the judicial system. I I genuinely believe that. Um, You know, you're dealing with legal issues not in a vacuum, but at the vortex of the problem. Uh, People uh, with emotions running high, you're having to accommodate Uh, parties and their lawyers, but also jurors, um, witnesses. Um, You have your staff uh, to look after. You're responsible for the protection of all of those people when they're in your presence in the courtroom. And um, and the the comfort of the jury is your responsibility. Um, So you see and deal with people uh, that you're decisions are going to impact, and you feel that ripple effect. Um, I just know that, uh, that that you have got uh, the most important job, I believe. I've had chief justices of our Supreme Court tell me that, that the Superior Court judge is the, the guy on the line and, um, and has the hardest job in the judicial system, and I, I think that's true. Uh, you know, everything you do uh, as a Superior Court judge is important. I mean, it's important work. It matters to the community as much as it does to those individuals. Um, you never get caught up. That's frustrating. But you just need to recognize that every day when you go home tired and worn out from making decisions that you have served your community, you've served the citizens of the community, and uh, you're just trying to make life a little better for people every day. You know, it's one of those things that we try to, and we don't do a great job of doing it, of explaining to these new judges, you're not alone. You might be in the corner of Georgia. You might be in a 
10 county circuit or one county circuit metro atlanta you might be one of 10 or one of three or whatever it you think though you begin to you, you become hey i'm a judge so i can't tell people my own shortcomings my own you know and when, when we have our new judge training unfortunately sometimes we have a battle of who knows more before we got here and and you know i used to do this i used to do this i used to do this well all that's great you're a spirit court judge now and it's a it's a little different from whatever it was you were doing before whatever the perspective was even the appellate judge it, it's different than whatever you were doing before if you could say i think you've kind of touched it but is is there anything that you like most or least about your time did you leave the bench because you were fed up no 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 i um, again, I had done it 10 years. Um, I wanted to get back to practicing law. I wanted to do the mediations on a more regular basis. And, um, you know, I was 52 when I started, 62 when I, when I retired from that, kind of late in the career. I mean, a lot of people start much earlier mm-hmm. than I did. Um, but I, at 62, I thought, how much more time do I have to do this? I mean, my dad died at 54. I thought, you know, if I'm uh, maybe I'm running out of time. If I'm gonna, if I want to practice law and I want to have a chance to practice with Rick, which I didn't have a chance to do with my dad, uh, now's the time to do it. I mean, it's that or re-up for four more years. I'd be 66 then. Well, that's four years I wasn't able to practice law with him or. Um, or mediate. So that was the the primary reason uh, that I that I made that change. Um, it was not because I was fed up with the work, though. Th- though I did have the domestic relations for Bibb County the last two years. <laughs> not <laughs> mm. anybody's favorite. Uh, not at aside, all. But but the, one of the most important you can have. Judge, we don't always have your perspective because a lot of our judges retire and become senior judges. So they're still having to serve and they don't feel comfortable talking. Some of them are not judges and don't want to be anything about judges and are so bitter about their time on the bench that they don't want to come back and talk. So when we have the opportunity like this to talk to you, I know we took up way too much of your time, <laughs> but but you don't have any idea. It, it it feels like going and sitting at the foot of the oracle and 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 sort of <laughs> and, well just just saying, Judge, am I crazy? And then you start hearing you talk about things and you're identifying. At least I was. Yeah, that's happened to me. That's mm-hmm. happened to me. Different mm-hmm. guy. That happened to me. Different girl. That happened to me. And it's nice to know you're not crazy. And and sometimes you can feel a little isolated, I think, yeah. in this job. Have you all run into circumstances where you feel like the lawyers don't recognize that there's a certain amount of decorum that's Absolutely. required? Absolutely. Yes, sir. <laughs> you know, law schools do not, at least in my experience, do not uh, teach anything about courtroom manners. I had the the privilege of working in law school and, and then going to work for a firm with like Hank O'Neill, Manley mm-hmm. Brown, Denmark Groover, Bird Garland, uh, or Gar- excuse me, Garland Bird, wow, and uh, Floyd Buford, and uh, terrific trial lawyers, and I, I was able to watch them in the courtroom. And the one thing I, I learned about decorum, one of several things, I guess, uh, is that when 
you're making an objection. Of course, you stand to make your objection. You make it and you sit back down because the other side then has the floor. And they respond, but they respond to the judge, not to the lawyer who's objecting. And I can't tell you how many times I'd have to say to lawyers, no, no, you need to direct your comments to me, not to the other lawyer. And, uh, and then when you're through, then you need to sit down, and he gets to stand up, and he gets the floor, and I listen to him. And, uh, and so we do it that way so that we can maintain some decorum, and the judge doesn't lose uh, control of the courtroom, because it can happen if you get two lawyers who are very argumentative and don't particularly like each other, and I've <laughs> seen that happen. And... They get to uh, arguing with each other rather than directing their comments to the judge. And so, you know, I, they, they learned my hand. I was like a Baptist preacher. I'd tell them you know, <laughs> to move my hand down, and they'd sit down, and I'd raise my hand up, and they'd, they'd get up. And the beautiful <laughs> part of that is not on the record. That's right. <laughs> and I'll tell you, the, the best one I ever saw was Tommy Day Wilcox sitting up there. He would would want a lawyer to move on. He just point his finger and twirl it around <laughs> and they knew that get on with it let's get on with it but next issue next record. topic right, <laughs> That's right. right. <laughs> That's you know judge great. the one thing i would say about that and we are gonna let you go but one thing i would say about that is a lot of the lawyers now absolutely know how to act they choose not to yeah, and sad. and and some of them is, are not as confident as their in their skills as you might have been or your partners might have been, and so they're a little unev- uneasy on their feet already, and their reaction to adversity is very snappy and real aggressive because they're not already as comfortable in their own skill set as they might have been. Some of those other people sure. might have been. Yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to add before we let Judge Sizemore go? Well, Judge, I just want to thank you very much for your time here. This is so. This has been great, and as Wade said, it's it's nice to to hear the commonality that we have as judges. That you know, our our lives do uh, run in in parallel uh, as judges on the Superior Court bench, and uh, it's also great to talk to someone who uh, who loves trying cases, or who loves the trial court atmosphere, or who enjoyed being a lawyer like Wade and I both have, and, and enjoyed being a judge as well. And uh, so I, I just thank you. I thank, I thank you for that input. Judge, thank you very much. You spent a lot of time. Was there anything we didn't get to? No, no. I think you've thoroughly covered everything. <laughs> yeah, no, I've, it's been a real treat for me. I appreciate you asking me to come. Well, this is the first time we've ever done it. You're the inaugural person because of how impactful, frankly, you have been. And and I, I know that you have some other peers that were probably really great, had some great ideas mm-hmm. and great speakers. But I happened to see yours on YouTube and realized I need that for new judge training. Is it okay if we use it from Gore? Sure. Is that good enough? <laughs> I think that's I good. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Sure. Can you, Judge, could you sign a couple of documents before <laughs> you leave? We've got a couple of things we need you to sign. Folks, thanks for listening to the Good Judgment Podcast. Once again, thanks to Judge Lamar Sizemore for coming all the way here to Athens from making and making this happen. And we want to thank our listeners. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to the Good Judgment Podcast. This project was the brainchild of Doug Ashworth, the executive director of ICJE. Thanks and appreciation to Mr. Jim Henneberger and the entire University of Georgia College of Law. Without them, we really could not do this. 
And thanks to Mr. Stephen Turner and his company, Turner Up Media, who helped to edit some of our stupidity and awkwardness. Hey, but nobody can get it all. That's a good point. Tane and I are eternally grateful to the Council Superior Court judges who allowed us to lead new judge orientation for the Superior Court judges across Georgia. And thanks to our NGAO graduates who've been willing to help with this podcast series. You know that these are our opinions and do not reflect the opinions of ICJE, CSCJ, University of Georgia College of Law, or anybody else with an acronym or alphabet name. Or anyone else for that matter. Contact us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com if you have any praise. And contact someone else with any of your complaints. (laughs) But seriously, we would love to have your feedback, both good and bad. Send those comments to goodjudgepod at gmail.com. And visit our website at goodjudgepod.com for outlines and more details about our podcasts. Once again, I am Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell, and thanks for listening. Tane, I guess it's time to bang the gavel on this one. Any last thoughts before we wrap this session up? No, let's just turn it over to the studio audience, and the crowd goes wild. Thanks for listening to the Good Judge Men Podcast.